Certainly as far as the tourism industry is concerned, our environment is everything. A turning point for me personally was you saying there's no way we can have a regenerative tourism industry without decarbonisation. There, there really was no regeneration unless we could stare decarbonisation in the face first. Do you think we can do it? Absolutely. Hello and welcome to Travel Beyond, where we partner with leading destinations to explore the greatest challenges facing communities and the planet, surfacing their most inspiring solutions. I'm David Archer, Editorial Manager at Destination Think, and I'm recording from the coastal village of Dachingids, British Columbia, which is in Haida Gwaii, the territory of the Haida Nation. And on this show, we look at the role of travel and we choose to highlight destinations that are global leaders. We talk to the change makers who are addressing regenerative travel through action in their communities and often from the bottom up. And we're actively looking for the best examples of efforts to regenerate economies, communities and ecosystems together. So be sure to reach out if you have a story to share with us. And I'm Rodney Payne, CEO at Destination Think. I'm recording from Revelstoke. British Columbia, a city on the territory of four First Nations, the Sinaiks, the Sequetmec, the Silks, and the Tunaha. And I'm happy to join as co-host for this new season of the podcast, and I want to give a shout out to Robin Goldsmith from Tourism Revelstoke, who is here for our first season. Um, and that season was all about Revelstoke's vision for the future of tourism locally and the destination management plan, the people behind it, who created it, who care about the future of tourism there and its impact and the choices they have to make. So if you haven't heard that first season, go have a listen. It's still in our feed here. Um, and we heard a lot of positive feedback from that season. So we want to keep bringing you the stories of positive change and the challenges of travel and community leaders. This season is about a very exciting initiative from the Queenstown Lakes District of Aotearoa, New Zealand. So heading quite a long distance away from Revelstoke. Let's talk a bit about what's coming up, Rodney. Um, what's this season all about? Travel has to make the world better. Very directly and with a really clear connection through to the positive impact it brings. In the last decade, travel really came under a lot of pressure in many places. Various impacts from hosting tourism have come under scrutiny as host communities started to reach capacity from congestion and traffic to infrastructure costs, the cost of living and availability of housing, wage inequality and environmental impacts. People have taken pause over the past few years to really think about tourism's role in a balanced economy. And now the world's also grappling with the climate crisis which needs fast action. And this is really disruptive for travel because moving people around is very energy intensive, especially in the air. And while there's some interesting technological developments, especially in short haul, long haul aviation is particularly challenging. This massive disruption is also a huge opportunity for us to really consider the tourism system and all of the interrelated aspects that often do center around our environmental impact. And we believe 
somewhat counterintuitively that travel has an opportunity to lead a sustainable, just and thriving future and that tourism as an economy can be the driver of wealth that actually enables communities to prosper and ruggedize. At Destination Think, we're in a really privileged position where we work with incredible people all over the world and we see inspiring solutions everywhere. And with this show, we want to uncover those stories of regeneration and connect people with ideas that they may not see and show proven solutions that are being actioned and places that are using travel to to directly improve their communities and the wider world and with an impact on climate change as well. We're going to explore the major challenges facing communities as they find balance. So travel beyond is about surfacing the solutions that don't yet have enough attention, solutions that account for the total impact travel has on communities, cultures, and the environment. Yeah, and I'm really excited to bring some more of these solutions to the surface. Um, and we're, we're about to spend some quality time with Queenstown Lakes. Um, and that's another tourism destination that has recently created a destination management plan, as Revelstoke did, uh, with Destination Think's involvement. And that plan is called Travel to a Thriving Future. And it comes with a very audacious and ag aggressive decarbonization goal. Um, Rodney, you were recently in Queenstown Lakes with members of our team to help bring this plan to fruition. So can you tell our listeners about your trip and why this project is so important to share? Yeah. So as you mentioned, uh, there's been a destination planning process in Queenstown, much like, you know, others around the world. And what's interesting about where the plan landed was it, it identified a strategic vision that really bubbled up from the community's values. And it was very ambitious and it's captured a lot of people's imagination to tackle the biggest problem first, uh, which is really looking at the carbon intensity of the tourism system and using that as a way to uh, innovate and diversify the economy and make the tourism system a lot more resilient as well. And it's a real example of reimagining the future uh, during the pandemic. A lot of people talked about that and it may be one of the best we've seen that comes with a massive amount of ambition. Yeah, and, and that ambition has been put towards that decarbonization goal I mentioned. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the carbon zero by 2030 goal that comes with, with the destination management plan? What's that all about? So the community in Queenstown Lakes uh, told us and told their leaders that they really did want a different way of going about things. And they were questioning a lot of how the tourism sector works in the community, and it's a, a massive part of the economy. And a lot of aspects of regeneration flowed through into the plan. And they, they were all sort of looked at equally. And together we realized that uh, there, there really was no regeneration unless we could stare decarbonization in the face first, because a small, you know, island nation in the middle of the Pacific uh, that's dependent on international tourism can only get people on, on airplanes to come internationally. And that, that really does force uh, contemplation 
uh, of everything because otherwise we're regrowing from the the impact of COVID in a way that bakes risk into the system. So we started talking a lot about what happens if we stare that in the face first. And it 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 caused us to realize that a lot of the things that the destination management plan sought to accomplish were actually accelerated by thinking about what decarbonization meant. And as we start to, started to really listen to the community, we could see that a lot of people were already putting in place things that led to this better future. And everywhere we looked, we sort of uncovered different ingredients that had built up into this, you know, ambition to decarbonize by 2030. And I think what's really important about the way carbon zero 2030 has been defined is this isn't about offsetting our way out of a problem. The ambition really comes from rapid decarbonization and really evaluating what the optimum level of visitation is and looking at ways to remove carbon in the district uh, and and enhance ecosystems uh, and create um, job opportunities along the way too. Yeah, and the rapid part of rapid decarbonization is important here. It, would you say that the 2030 date is a is a major reason for why this goal is so significant? Yeah, I think what I've seen in Queenstown Lakes is a destination management plan that's got everyone's attention. And that's quite rare. Um, often they're relatively safe documents that, you know, a few people know very intimately and try to really drive change uh, using those plans. And the level of ambition of rapid decarbonization, you know, over the, the next decade or the current decade is is very challenging and causes your mind to ask the question whether it's even possible. And we talked about a lot of different uh, dates to put into that strategic vision. And, you know, if you start talking about 2032 or 2035 or 2040, we saw that all of a sudden the pressure came off and it doesn't cause action today. We start, you know, we start thinking about, okay, well, I can act at some point in the future when what the world really needs is examples of possibility and action right now. Yeah, and I saw along the way during the, the process toward setting this goal that uh, someone had actually created a timer of, of the countdown of the number of days until December 31st, 2030, um, being the end of that year and the, the target deadline to decarbonize. Um, so I think at the on the day this podcast releases, it'll be 2,818 days remaining. Um, and you're right, I think that is a, a galvanizing idea. So today we're going to hear your conversation with Anne Lockhart in Queenstown Lakes. Can you tell us a bit about Anne's role in the project and what stood out to you? One of the really unique things about this particular project was the number of stakeholders that were very genuinely engaged in the process. And there was a steering group uh, made up of two different regional tourism organizations and then the local government that was overarching of both of those destinations, along with other key stakeholders as well. And 
I'm not going to say that the process was very quick. It took us almost two years, but at every step, there was very democratic consensus building among that steering group that, that guided the team at Destination Think to really build this plan. And we had the pleasure of working with Anne throughout that process. Uh, she was chief cat herder in her role <laughs> as, as CEO at Destination Queenstown uh, and really helped to make that process uh, a delight for us. It was a real pleasure to work with her, even through the ups and downs. Well, with that, let's go to Queenstown Lakes now to hear Rodney's interview with Anne Lockhart. So can you tell me who you are and what you do? Okay, so I'm Anne Lockhart and I live in the Cadrona Valley, which is ideally located between the two fabulous uh, tourism towns of Wanaka and Queenstown in New Zealand. And what have you been doing for the last few years? Well, over the, I was in a role uh, previously where I've, during COVID I was the um, interim chief executive of Destination Queenstown, um, formerly a board member there. When the CE left, I was asked to step in. Um, the three-month secondment ended up being nearly a three-year secondment by the time we had COVID and appointed a new CE after, you know, everything COVID had um, we'd come out of lockdown, etc. And then I retained a couple of projects um, with uh, Destination Queenstown contracting to them, uh, one of which was the Destination Management Plan, which was two years in the making. Could you tell me a little bit about how the DMP came to be? Yes, so all of the regional tourism offices around New Zealand, of which there's approximately 30, I think 31, were tasked by government to write um, destination management plans, in fact, regenerative, um, with a regenerative focus on those plans. So it was about the end of 2018. Um, so government were very proactive, I guess, you'd say in the time that they wanted these plans done. Um, so that started us on the journey. And it was really unique that you ended up working with the council and another RTO, so Queenstown and Monica together. Can you tell me about how that All the synergies, yes. Yes, so it's, it's an interesting, um, interesting situation because the RTOs, even though we're neighbours and even though we belong in the same local government area, uh, we've got the same council over um, both areas, is that we're, we're competitors in the tourism space as well. So, you know, we're obviously marketing to have people come to Queenstown, they're marketing for uh, Wanaka's marketing for people to go to Wanaka. Um, so having said that, there's a, still a lot of, in the background, there's still a lot of synergies and a lot of things we have in common. I'd have to say, as an aside, that the destination management process, the process of building the plan and developing the plan has brought us very, very close together, which is great. And you have, can you, can you explain how the council sits on top of the two regions? Yes. And so, how you ended up working with Kyoto? Yes, so um, count, the council is our local government, local body, authority. Um, they have a spatial plan, which equally they were asked by government to do, which a lot, a lot of areas do. And the destination management plan sits um, underneath the spatial plan. So it's one of the overarching planning documents for the district. And so the three organisations, yes. Lake Wanaka Tourism, 
Destination Queenstown mm -hmm. and the Queenstown Lakes District Council yes. all teamed up yes. and decided we're going to build one giant destination management plan. That's right. And that seems like the, the, obviously the logical thing to do. And um, yes, that's what we set out to do. So we had, the, um, so we had some governance from both from our boards. Uh, we had the support of the mayor at the time. Um, and we had executives from uh, Destination Queenstown, Lake Wanaka Tourism, and senior executives and from uh, the council working as a steering group on the plan. Have you have those three organisations ever tried to do anything together before? Uh, not as closely. No, this this would be a, a unique exercise. Yes, not as closely. And I guess that's where we came into the picture. So, how did you find Destination Thing? Um, we went. We had a look around. Some uh, districts or some areas, some regional tourism areas, had already written plans. Anyway not so much with a regenerative focus to them. Um, and we heard about Destination Think because I understand you might have done uh, done some work with uh, Hawke's Bay RTO and possibly somewhere else. So we, Bay of Plenty, I should say. So we did, um, yeah, so we did a bit of a scoping exercise to see who was in the marketplace at the time, yes. And uh, I remember a few early phone calls that you and I had. Um, can you tell us about how the process got started and what it was like working with the, the various organisations for one of the first time? Yes, so we um, uh, chose, I think, it was probably half a dozen companies to um, Destination Think being the only international company. Um, the rest of them were New Zealand-based um, to uh, put forward um, our proposals. Um, this was at the beginning of, or well, early in 2019, I think I spoke to you in that summer, 18 into 19, so it's a long time ago. Lots happened in the world since then. And um, we talked about, and I think, um, you know, Destination Think was, I think, Destination Think was definitely up at the top of our preferred uh, providers. Um, however, you and I talked at the time about the importance of stakeholder engagement and your being your company being involved and being available to be on the ground. And of course, then COVID hit us in the middle of that conversation. Um, so we decided that we'd go for a little bit of a, a hybrid where we'd use a local New Zealand um, consultant to do the um, um, community engagement, which is really important because so this is what, it's not our plan, it's a community plan. Um, and to have Destination Think uh, peer review that. Over time, what's happened is that the world's changed and changing very quickly, as you know, is that uh, we, um, with your, with Destination Think's help, thought about the uh, big, hairy, audacious goal of carbon zero by 2030. Um, so um, we've, become very closely involved with you and we've probably on yeah on our th th third draft I'd say we'll complete it we're now completed so a few drafts went into the it's funny thinking back all that time it was um it was a very very busy time for us and then your borders closed yes and it's hard to even remember back that far and it's been quite the journey yeah. I think of all the processes I've been involved in or we've been involved in I can't think of another one that had 
such a deep stakeholder group steering the mm-hmm. project mm-hmm. often will work with one person in a destination management organization and or or a destination marketing organization that wants to make the shift to management mm-hmm. and we're doing our best to try and pull in other organizations mm-hmm. uh but y- you never get the depth of engagement that you had by having everyone around the table mm-hmm. can you yeah. talk about that a little bit Yes, well, it was um, certainly um, interesting. It was a dynamic process. A lot of people, some very experienced people, for example, one of the people on the steering group has done an MBA and um, destination management. We had a representation from the Economic Development Agency from Council. Um, various uh, two of our um, CEs have had industry experience, so they understand the operators because they've been operators themselves in the in the tourism area. Um, so, and we've got um, some very experienced uh, comms and marketing people actually uh, um, on the group as well. So, um, it's a high performing group. Um, we it, we didn't always agree on on everything. It was, a, a, I'd say, it was, it, sometimes the process was complicated and that was because we were dealing with two different um, consultants in the first, in the first instance. Um, but everyone really was very um, committed. So, and I think that that's the amazing thing is it didn't matter how difficult it got or how long or how many times we had to read a draft or reread or rewrite something. Um, provide feedback, go back to stakeholders, um, etc. Is that um, we were absolutely unanimous in our, um, our thinking about the outcome, and that was that we would have a re- regenerative, you know, a top. We wanted to be le- a world leading in this space. So it worked. We went from wanting to have or needing to have, and we do need to have a, a, re, a fully regenerative plan to this big goal of um, the carbon zero by 2030. Why do you think everyone cares so much on the um, steering group? I think generally, as a nation, New Zealanders very much care for their environment. You know, and this is you know, as a general statement, we don't take for granted what we've got sitting here on on our doorstep. Certainly, as far as the tourism industry is concerned, our environment is everything. So, if that's degraded, we there is no industry. There is no industry. So, because um, it is the backdrop to everything we do, which, which is true of many dest- uh, tourism destinations around the world. But New Zealand, as you probably know, stands out for its you know absolute magnificent uh, beauty. Um, we're very lucky to pro- live in the heart of that, um, in Wanaka in Queenstown. So, um, yes, I think it's, it's in the DNA. You and I got to work pretty closely together. Yes. Um, especially when things got heated towards the end. <laughs> um, how did you do such a good job of creating alignment and helping to find consensus in such a diverse group? Well, um, I'm not sure. Just uh, steady focus on the outcome. We did keep pushing out the dateline a little bit, and I think that in the end, when there was no more extensions for good reason, is that we had to put a line in the sand and go, we possibly never, ever, doesn't matter who's involved, have the perfect plan, is that 
it's a work in progress it's a living document it's put a line in the sand so that because that gives you a good focus you know and then people say well okay I think I can accommodate on that we can come to a concession or agreement about x y and z so yes but we're, we're all um, rational people at the end of the day <laughs> yeah it, and, and most people would think they are rational but you did do an amazing job of gluing organizations together where often between two different RTOs or the local government organization mm. there's there's usually a tension that exists or has developed and I almost watched that strip away mm -hmm. as you guys went through the process together mm -hmm. um, and heard stories about how you know silos were broken down mm -hmm. and you know boundaries were uh, dissolved mm -hmm. um, so that was really commendable like that was a really cool thing to watch can you tell me about what happened when we started getting really ambitious? Because I think the plan itself was ambitious. Yes. But that really leveled up. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? It was very fast moving time. And I, it's, it's difficult to say when you look back, even though it was only a few months ago, about when that switch came and you're certainly correct it was when you, in a way when you brought it to us but obviously something it also moved in our thinking as well um so you'll always err to caution and some of these things and we did have some not not on the on the steering group necessarily but certainly some of the stakeholders that are close to us who would say it's not possible it's impossible you can't do that but I come back to the point is that I think that we're all the steering group were all people that wanted in a way to leave their mark we'd worked on this plan for a long time is well what does all this mean at the end of the day and what I think a turning point to for me personally was you saying there is no there's no way we can have a regenerative tourism industry without decarbonisation so that was that was the line that we talked to ourselves about is that we're not going to have an industry tinkering around here you know we can as you know you're pointing out you can write a really good regenerative plan but it's only going to take you so far and the big elephant in the room is about decarbonization especially in uh well as so i say especially for the whole for the whole the whole world but the tourism industry where we work in especially for that when it's very much um supported by aviation so um yes yeah, so it was uh it was so we we threw it around a bit obviously had to have some discussions about it and um and i think the, the consensus in the end was is if you don't put a line in the sand if you don't put raise the flag and say yes this is what we're going to do then you don't you, you, we won't get there. We won't get anywhere, I should say. How does it make you feel? Excited. Very excited. Yes. Nervous? Nervous. Well, no, post-nervous now. At the time, it was just, oh, whoa, what, what, are our, what are our operators going to think about this? But in a way, and I was just talking to a few of them last week, actually, is that um, it's, no one's asking the tourism industry to do it in particular. This plan is for the tourism industry. But as we say, unless the world does this, everyone has to. And from a business point of view, it's very, it's very, it's, it's best practice, you know, it's best practice. So, and I think most uh, people in business can get their heads around that. Mm. 
I think my like climate awareness has made me do a lot less trips mm. and uh, when I do travel, travel for long periods of time. And it's been amazing to see in every conversation here how the values that you uncovered during the process mm. have been reinforced in every interaction. Well, it, I was just going to ask you that. It's it, crazy. Yeah. Mm. It, it's, it's like everywhere I look, every second business here yes. is already an environmental restoration mm. company mm. hiding as a tourism business mm. Mm. where they've got a great business model and great revenue stream and they're pouring you know, the surplus into doing something amazing for the world. And what are the highlight things? What are the things you didn't expect or the people that you will be working with that you might not have thought you would? I don't know. I think the the overarching surprise is how it it really is true. Like the the substance behind the commitment mm. and the, the ambition, the level of ambition is really, really authentic mm. and really substantiated. Mm. I think... Part of the reason I wanted to bring a camera down mm. is a lot of the questions I got from people that I know in my network afterwards was, oh, that looks good. Is it real? Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to tell that story. Mm. It's hard to write it mm. and it's hard to convey it. Mm. And I think when you get a chance to sit with a journalist mm. or sit with someone in the industry who may be skeptical or a climate scientist, mm. the initial reaction is that sounds like marketing or that sounds like greenwashing. And I think part of the reason I was so captivated and compelled to, to want to be part of this mm. is the depth of authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I think when you've got leaders like Matt and mm. Michelle and mm-hmm. Tim and mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. who are really genuinely committed mm. to, to going through a process like this mm. and being really democratic mm. and really listening to the community, it's like, and that's mm-hmm. only been really reinforced on this trip. Mm-hmm. Do you think being a leader and going out in front rather than being led on decarbonisation mm-hmm. as a destination mm-hmm. gives you other advantages? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Just in terms of the sort of uh, the audience or the guest visitors that we want to come and uh, visit us is that we we see what we stand for is almost our marketing, really, is that we want people to come and see us who respect our values and respect us and respect our environment. So, oh yes, it's got huge benefits, huge benefits. Do you think we can do it? Absolutely. You know more about this than I do, Rodney, at the, at the technical end, but I, the, the will's there, the will's there. You know, we, I don't hear anyone saying you can't do it. And, and in fact, and if we don't get there by the 31st of December, 2029, no one's going to hold us uh, uh, us to ransom about that, are they? Do you know? It's just that we, but that's the goal, and we'll do our very, very level best, complex, difficult as it is, to achieve that goal. What do you think our biggest barriers will be? Money. <laughs> I don't think the will is a barrier at all. Uh, the, you know, I think uh, people are very cognizant of what you know that they need to be on that journey. Many people don't know what that looks like. I certainly don't know everything that will be involved in every part of the, you know, economy. But, um, yes, financing it is always, if money wasn't uh, an issue, anything's possible, isn't it? This has been Travel Beyond, presented by Destination Think. My co-host is Rodney Payne. This episode has been produced and has theme music composed by me, David Archer. Lindsay Payne and Annika Rautiola provided production support. 
We would like to thank Destination Queenstown, Lake Wanaka Tourism, and Queenstown Lakes District Council for their participation, their willingness to be bold, and for their trust in Destination Think throughout this project. You can help more people find this show by subscribing to future episodes and by leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Next time on Travel Beyond, we'll hear from local policymakers about how they're thinking about the community's future in light of the goal to reach carbon zero by 2030. I would love to find a way for us to be able to continue to travel and mix and mingle and learn um, without worrying about the carbon emissions, without worrying that it's destroying the world. My youngest at 10 asked me, what am I doing about climate change given my position? And I want to have an answer. And we landed on 2030 because that made everybody uncomfortable. And you could just feel people's brains struggling to comprehend what that might mean. See you then.